What is up, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, punch down on that subscribe button. This episode is a recording from the B-Ball Breakdown live show with yours truly and Coach Nick. A fantastic conversation. We react to the All-Star Reserves being selected. It was actually an instant reaction so that was really fun we also talked about Nicholas Claxton's free throw and the Atlanta Hawks Trey Young and more intro music by Luca Beats let's get into it I'm joined by Andrew Combo Salop, who is going to discuss with me the latest and the greatest in the NBA. Uh, Combo, what's happening, my man? Did you get a haircut, Coach Nick? That's what I I'm seeing. Haircut, I got shorn. Feel really good about it. Yeah, I, I, cha- I changed barbers recently. Isn't that interesting? Why? It's closer. closer. It's closer. Yeah. Uh, okay. Cut yeah. that. Cut down travel time. More efficient. You know. I see it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I have to drive uh, a nice way, but I've been getting my haircut by the same guy for probably 25, well, 20 years, probably. How long's the drive? Uh, you know, like maybe like 17, 18 minutes or something. Whoa. 20 minutes, maybe. That's, that's, that's Yeah, that's 40 minutes. That's 40 minutes you could be working on your videos. You know, in LA, driving somewhere for 20 minutes is nothing. Like people will do that in a. That's nothing. So everything's 20 minutes away. Okay. Uh-huh. So my so mine is a five minute walk, you know. So I'm happy about oh, that. That's nice. Yes. The the, yeah. the uh the pleasures of, of uh living in New York, of course. Yep. No one walks in LA. Uh what's up, Martin? Good to see you. Everyone come on in here in the stream and uh, get your questions ready. Uh don't forget if you want your question on the screen and answered, the super chat is the way to do that. And um let's see here. Uh I you know, just re- I'm realizing now I I just recorded my political podcast before this. And I was on my own. My podcast partner was out of town and I didn't do my little thing saying this is a Patreon exclusive and you get, you know, 15 minutes free. But oh, well, you know, I'll, that's I, yeah, that's really good monologue. It's uh, it's tough. I was actually at a podcast studio recording on my own and um, it's very interesting. It's very different. You know, just talk it to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, no, actually, no, that one wasn't a solo. I did have somebody with me as a guest. Oh, but okay. because I had to intro the, the show, uh, you know, he always does the thing. Don't forget, this is whatever. And I realized just, it just struck me. I'm not focused, Combo, is what I'm telling you. I'm, I'm, I'm somewhere else thinking about something I just did, which is not a recipe for success uh, in anything you do. But if you're interested, by the way, and you uh, like politics and you um, are of a certain political leaning uh, that might lean toward the left, then you should check out the Muckrake podcast. It's actually uh, it's pretty big, believe it or not. We we ranked in the top 200 in news podcasts on Apple the other day. That's very cool, Coach Nick. Very yeah. cool. I lean I lean left, but mostly on the court. But I can finish with my right. 
Okay. There, I hear you. I see what you're doing. Uh, I was always <laughs> much better finishing with my left. Much better. Oh, okay. Okay. And, and the reason why was because in eighth grade or after eight, my eighth grade season, you know, I was told oh, you got to be able to go both ways and whatever. So I worked so hard on my left hand, underhand, you know, layup before ninth grade that like I didn't work in my right hand layup. So I just, it got, it was much better. And I looked probably even more natural with the left hand. I would always go to that left hand. I was kind of like that Ben Simmons kind of thing where I'd always be going left hand. And I had an awesome running hook across the lane that my sophomore coach like made me stop doing. And man, do I want to go back in time and punch him in the face. <laughs> well, I don't want you to get in trouble, Coach Nick, so don't no. go back in time and do he's that. A, he's a big guy. He probably wouldn't have felt it. But at any rate, um, all right, we got some interesting things to talk about. I mean, we're going to get ready to go to a live show after this. We're going to or a live watch party over on Playback. Link is in the description. So come on over. Uh, I give out free T-shirts to, to people who are there. Um, I we have, we have a great analysis of the game that's going on, and there's a bunch of games that we can switch back and forth. So I think we're going to start with uh, Grizzlies and Cavs, but the Lakers and Pacers are going to be going on already. And at that same time, Heat and Knicks, the uh, grudge match, or it used to be a big rivalry. You're in New York. Is the Heat and the Knicks a rivalry anymore? Not anymore, but I remember those days when Jeff Van Gundy ran on the floor <laughs> and I think he was hanging off Alonzo Morning's leg. The yes, old, the, the good old days. Now, that many that, that was many moons ago. Was that Alonzo in in uh, Charlotte or was that in in Miami? Miami. Okay, that, that was, was Miami. That, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, that was versus Miami. Yeah. Okay, because you know that 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 there, Charlotte had a team that had Larry Johnson, who then went to the Knicks. But before that, it was Alonzo Morning, Larry Johnson. Um, there's a shooter on that team. I'm forgetting, and they were so tough. They could never Del, really Del, Del Curry. Maybe Dale Curry. Yeah. Maybe. But there was someone else who was really good, I'm thinking, of a guard. And it, maybe it was, was it Baron Davis in his prime? Um, no, no. Baron Davis was after those guys. Yeah, gosh. All right, we'll look it up right now. I La Larry um, Johnson, former guest of Combo's Court. Shouts to him. You got Larry Johnson on your show? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's we did. We did it in person, too. Huh. All right. Now, here's the thing. If I go back, if I go on the teams and I go to Charlotte, now that's not the same – as the as the Hornets were oh okay it's different so let me let's see here so let's just go down because they they got good pretty quick after they were uh they they were invented uh whatever the thing is right they started yeah. out in 88 89 that was an expansion team did they were they an expansion team with the magic was that the same year or was that different uh magic were around that time but no yeah. no uh yeah uh, I can't remember now but let me look where is Alonzo Morning there's Larry Johnson. Alonzo Morning is, is – They had Muggsy probably, right? Yeah, they had Muggsy. They had Dale Curry. Um, there it is. Okay, so here it is. Alonzo Morning, Larry Johnson. S Sidney Green. Wow. He was a former bull. Kendall Gill, who was yeah, really that. underrated. Kendall Gill was a, like a really poor man's Michael Jordan, but it was really good. Well, there was a lot of really poor man's Michael Jordan around that time, right? I mean, I guess so because no one could match up so or, or, or compare. Um yeah, but like, but but I always like I was a big Illinois fan back then, and Kendall Gill was part of that whole squad. That was they had a really good squad. I couldn't beat Michigan at the time. It was really frustrating. Is Kendall Gill a guy that ended up going into boxing, or is that somebody else? No, Kendall Gill is uh, an announcer now. Okay, okay. So there's Stephen Bardo, who's also an announcer. Kendall Gill, Stephen Bardo, uh, been on my show too. Oh, okay. Look at yeah. you getting the yeah. people on your show. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, hey, we have our first super chat from from friend of the breakdown, Martin Jose. Let's throw it on the screen. Uh, explain how to fix Nick's Cla Nick Clacton Cla 
Claxton shooting form. I just saw it the other day. I, I don't know if you guys missed it, but I really should go back and watch. It's not that long ago. I did a video on the worst free throw shooters, and uh, I, I spotlit uh, Sohan, Sohan, who's uh, on the Spurs, who is now shooting great with one hand. Uh, we also spotlit um, Stephen Adams, who's probably going to go down as the, lo- the lowest free throw percentage of all time with a minimum of like one and a half or two a game attempts. Uh, but I did see Nick Claxton. It's ugly. It's a real problem. Yeah, um, like that's a great question, by the way, because I always think about Claxton shooting because I love the leap he took everywhere else. But with that pause at the top, no matter how much he reps it out, it's just not going to work. So he's going to need a total reconstruction and get better energy transfer. You know, it's funny because those big guys, it might be hard, you know, to, to kind of control the power when you're, you know, that tall. But he's not like thick and strong necessarily. But yeah, I think uh, whoever got to him, uh, and tried is really doing a disservice. I, I kind of want to call call it up real quickly, just kind of watch it again because I want to see. Oh, it's uh, he he pauses it for like two seconds or three seconds at the top, and it's not pretty. But I love the leap he's take he has taken as a player, man. He's he's really good, and in my opinion, I think he's going to be a winning playoff player for many years to come. But that's something he really has to work on the free throw shooting. Yeah, so I'm now I remember. So yeah, so what he does is he straightens his legs. Then he brings the ball up here. It's like a three-motion shot and then stays there for a second. And then, you know, th- this is what happens when you try to eliminate movement. You get stuff like this, arrhythmic, inconsistent. Uh, it's really frustrating because I keep seeing it even today with coaches who are my age, around my age, and they keep trying to share their, you know, insights into shooting. And it's such utter BS to watch and, and read uh, how they want to eliminate what, what, what What's the biggest – BS thing you've heard when it comes so, to so eliminating motion as if that's going to make you more consistent. What it ends up making you is something like Claxton, where you are completely have no rhythm. You are com- compact and tight and not comfortable. Uh, explain, explain eliminating motion. You need, I mean, there's going to be motion when you shoot. Yeah. But you know, some guy might say, well, you see how you, uh, when you're lifting your arms up, uh, you know, you're kind of moving out and then back in, you got to stop that. You know, so next thing you know, he's like frozen in time and he, you know, and now it's really uncomfortable and now they have to push. You know what I mean? Little, the little things like that, they think that they're actually doing something for you is really just your body expressing itself in the way it needs you to feel rhythmic. And he, and the, and that's so that, that the point wouldn't be to eliminate those kind of movements. It's to improve the rhythm of it, improve the timing of the knee, uh, triple extension of the feet, of the legs and the, and the hips and the uh, uh, ankles to the arms swing up. That's really the key. And another thing would be is, uh, is you know, having a good turn so that your shooting hip is in line with the basket. And I feel like when I hear people say eliminate motion, I know they're probably also 10 toes to the rim square, and that tends to be deaf to most good shooters. I mean, I like the idea of keeping the basketball close to the body. Because... You know, I, again – it, it, it's it's all depends i feel like depending on who you are and what your uh you know your, your physical makeup is sometimes you know th- you know if it gets way too far maybe but we've seen good shooters who uh who can do that who who swing up away from their body and it doesn't this you know uh, you know whatever we've seen guys who bend the elbow pretty deep right well we have to be 90 degrees Kyrie bends it pretty far and look at you know he's he's got a, a really good um you know form now i got i'm gonna do a quick screenshot here because i want to show you uh, exactly what I'm talking about here. If I make it small enough, no one's going to be mad for using uh, <laughs> footage. But let's uh, here. Let me do this. Oh, I have to open it up real quick. But this is uh, yeah, we're live live producing here um, to show you Nick Claxton's feet because it's important. 
So let me do the screen share here. I hope they don't flag our video. Uh, no, I, I, you know, the video, video is a little dicey these days. Oh no. All right. Brand new computer. And it's not, I have to like change the, the system preferences. I can't believe this. So I can't show you, although maybe I can do it this way. Keep talking for one second about Nick Claxton and I'll, I'm going to put it on my phone. Nick Claxton definitely has to change what he's doing. That's one thing I know. I don't want him to go to the one hand shot like Plumlee, but he definitely has to work on getting that shot more into a one motion release. Uh, yes, there are guys that could, you know, make it happen with two motions. Like I think Ray Allen's a good example of that, right? He was more of a two motion shooter and one of the greatest shooters ever. But I do think, you know, we look at the greatest shooter, Steph Curry, it's a one motion shot. And I think that's the easiest way to replicate a shooting motion. Um, yeah. So can we, uh, we can kind of see this. So you can see that Claxton's feet are 10 toes to the rim. He is square to the basket. Now look what he's going to have to do with that ball across his body to try and get the, the elbow underneath the ball. And that's another problem. So if we were to go slow motion through that shot from that angle, you'll see uh, it, this kind of thing. Now that's the kind of emotion that you want to eliminate, but keep it in more of a, uh, the vertical line. That is okay. I agree. Yeah, I but, agree. Uh, but, you know, even like, even like Kawhi's shot, I don't like. And that's another example of the Chip England, like we're going to eliminate it stuff. And it's so rigid and so tight. Uh, it, it, it really shocked me that he became a really consistent three-point shooter with, with how low he shoots it and how, how isolated all the movement is. It's not rhythmic, and yet his hands are huge, and he's just a testament to how much how hard he worked. But I would never use that as a model, for instance. Yeah, I agree. It, it should stay on one side of the body because it starts doing funky stuff when you bring it over to one side and then back to the other. But, you know, as you said, like, Katie kind of does that. So – it yeah. works for him, but I mean, he's an anomaly. He's different. He's an alien. Yeah, and KD turns way far to get to be able to get that good alignment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm just watching what uh, Claxton was doing again. So he actually, he's not swinging it and then back around because it's not like that same one motion. He gets it there and then he stops, and that was probably their way of thinking. Okay, you know, rather than turn his feet and get better alignment, we're gonna we're gonna like you know eliminate get him to stop doing this thing because we're gonna have him stop all above his head. He's now straightened his legs, his, his, um, his heels are on the ground, so there's no energy transfer. And so he's just flinging it. He's just sort of like pushing it there at the rim. And by the way, who knows? Maybe he could ultimately get to 70% doing that. But, man, I wouldn't want him shooting a, you know, down by two with five seconds to go. I'm not wanting him on the line. Right. Um, if, he, if he just really reps it out, reps it out, reps it out, I mean, maybe he could get to 70 but. At this point, he's such a young player that he should try and change some things. You know, I agree. I agree. Yeah, it doesn't even matter at this point what age. If it's a free throw, let's let's fix it. So that's a real problem. And uh, Martin, th great question. Thanks for giving us a chance to go through that. And don't forget, if you're just joining us, we're going to go over to the um, playback. Uh, the link is in the description to watch some live shows, the uh, live games together, and I can flip back and forth whatever game's going well. So that's always exciting to be able to do it. But we'll start off with a TNT game that starts in like half an hour or so. So don't miss that. Uh, the Sham, Sham Sharania, Sharania has just released the All-Star something or other. Should we go through that real quick? Yeah, let's do it. So um, he just uh, – oh, okay, here they are. The All-Star reserves are Joel Embiid, Jalen Brown, Bam Adebayo, Julius Randle, DeMar DeRozan, Drew Holiday, and Tyrese Halliburton. So Tyrese Halliburton made it, much to the chagrin of Wally Zerbiak, I suppose, in your neck of the woods. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that was one comment, but if Wally really looked at the entire season, I mean, the guy leads the league in assists. Um, he's an efficient shooter. He's a guy that makes everybody around him better. The Pacers have overachieved. And he's just one of those point guards that every team would love to build around. I was high on him when he was with Iowa State. I knew he was going to be a guy that would make everyone around him better. When the Knicks drafted Obi, I liked Obi, but I said right away, like Tyrese Halliburton should have been the guy that they drafted. So kudos to him. He has a bright future. And this all-star game was uh, well-deserved for him. Absolutely. I love his game. And the fact that, you know, the, the, the shot, the jump shot was obviously I was like, this is interesting. I don't know how it's going to work. Um, but he uh, he's proven that he can hit that shot. Uh, and, you know, I was about to do a video on him. I really wanted to make, you know, get some noise going. But then he had been inactive uh, from injury since the 13th. And I was going to do it right around there. So I'm kind of waiting for him to come back so I can do the big video and, and announce it to an authority. I'm working on another video. I just decided to do this today uh, on someone else who's happened to having a uh, actually an amazing um, uh, season so far. And like nobody's talking about it. Do you know who I'm talking about? Can you give me one hint? Well, it's somebody that we've expected to be great for a long time, but it's now sort of toiling in obscurity and, um, is uh it, it, you know we we know that you know this person is is great but like you know it has been a couple of years since we've remembered that and now he's back Kawhi Leonard no better so, better than he's better than Kawhi Leonard he's having a better season than Kawhi Leonard well you already did the SGA video yeah older than that Danny no Dwight Howard come on now he's in China <laughs> it's not the, um what position what what position well i think that gives it away but it's someone who's been playing for 10 plus years but has been has been out of the limelight for a couple of seasons and is is and is just you know and that's just the point nobody has nobody realizes it i'm almost hesitant to say who it is because i want to really surprise everybody but you know we, we have a smaller audience in the in the live show right now so maybe i can do it but uh siakam got subbed yes uh although i don't know i the whole the whole Raptors thing kind of makes me feel empty uh, right now. What's going on there? It's crazy with all the Nick Nurse stuff coming out. Like, Wait, what Nick Nurse stuff is coming out? Like, there's just like weird reports about how much he's getting paid, and him and some of the players don't get along. But it's this is like every NBA team that has expectations and don't live up to it. It's like drama ensues. It's like it's inevitable. Like it really just comes down to like this team is losing more than it should and then drama follows, right? Like yeah. that's just how it is. Like that's just or, how the NBA is. Or is the drama causing the the, NBA, the player the team not to win as much as it should? It's they they might go hand in hand. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's like what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Uh yeah. And that's why you got to be on top of all of that at all times and yet they have good assistants who have their ear to the ground who are, you know, connected to the players and can give you a, you know, can you can nip things in the bud before it gets bigger. Um, I just went to go see my old team that I used to coach uh, in the big showdown between, you know, uh, Taft, which is the – I used to coach at Birmingham, and then Taft was the, our big rival. And uh, Taft has, has produced, like, Spencer Dinwiddie went there. I coached against him when he was there. Uh, and they've had great, great players. And now it's sort of shifted, and I went to the, to the game, and it was crazy uh, to watch. And, then, you know, you can see – even I had to sit behind one of the uh, the tap bench, and you can kind of just see all the inner workings and the and and the relationship stuff with the coaches. And it was like, yeah, you better you better address that, or that's going to get worse, and that's going to make it worse, and things bad for you. And you know, I got to tell you, you know, a lot of that player coach dynamic exists on every level of basketball. So what you might see in high school can completely be mirrored in the NBA. So I heard UB Brown used to say 
to somebody else, I heard UB Brown used to say that like, it's very important for head coaches to have a good relationship with their best player, especially in the NBA. So, you know, I mean, I heard there are some issues with him and Siakam and, you know, Ananobi wants to be out of there. So, you know, there could be some issues, but, you know, nobody's going to tell me that Nick Nurse is not a good coach because I believe he's a fantastic coach. Oh, I absolutely. Yeah. I believe he's one of the top three coaches in the NBA. Like Spolster's probably up there. Kerr's probably up there. You know, Mike Brown, I believe, should be coach of the year this year. So he's like a great coach as well. But, you know, Nick Nurse is a great coach and nobody could tell me different. Yeah, there's no question he is. And, and everybody gets stuck in those situations. You got to get through it and hopefully it doesn't cost you your job or whatever. But he's got a title, so that should help him. Uh, yeah. Demar was not the snub. He made it uh, looking at some of the comments. Trey, how about Trey Young? I mean, I know you just came out with a video with him. Yes. Well, you know, and here's the thing about Trey Young. So he's got really gouty stats. He's scoring. He's getting assists. Uh, and, the, and go watch the video. I don't know what happened. Nobody wanted to watch the video. Um, he leads the league in, in assists for lobs, but like almost twice as much as anybody else. So I kind of broke down why that was the case. And a lot of that has to do with how good his floater game is. Now, if you look at the, rating, the ranking like on synergy of his floater, it's not that great. But he does it so often, and it's, it, is, it is a weapon that uh, the big man has a real hard time in the pick and roll dealing with what, they, or what uh, Trey is going to do, and that leads to him opening up a lot of those lobs. So I showed that. Plus, when you have guys like Capella, uh, and, and first of all, John Collins is ridiculous. You don't need to get anywhere accurate with him. You just need to get it somewhere in the vicinity of the rim. I, he, he has saved Trey on a number of times throughout these last few years. On, on being able to like somehow redirect these off-target uh, lobs down through the hoop in a violent manner. Um, and then you also have uh, Okongwu, who is, uh, is less of the dunker type on that one, but, but has a nice touch in the air and can finish uh, you know, on, on, on t- difficult angles too. Yeah, what really struck me about your video was how good some of those athletes are on, on, on Atlanta, right? Like people think of the best athletes in the league, like John Moran and Anthony Edwards, but there's so many high-level athletes on every team, especially in the modern NBA. And some of those guys that Trey is playing with are super athletic. What are your thoughts on Trey? Do you believe maybe he relies on the floater a little too much? Are there situations where he get all the way to the rim and he just settles for a floater? No, I mean, the floater is really, really good. And, you know, he is pretty small. Um, so I, I really – I think the decision-making on those is pretty good. Like – because he tends, tends to shoot them when he's got a little space. He gets them just over the big man under control. So I, I, I don't think that's the problem here. But what the problem I did have, though, was, and I did this at the end of the video, I mentioned it a little bit, which is he's shooting a career low in threes. Now, he's not taking – he's taking like six, six and a half a game. So it's not like crazy high volume, but it's, a, it's, it's high enough volume to be that bad from three. He's also turning the ball over a whole lot. And I and, and even on the lobs, like you know, they don't all go like you know in the highlights. They he misses some of those too, and so you have a guy who is throwing the ball over, is is woefully inefficient, and um, and he's your star lead player. That to me puts a ceiling on the on what they can do, and that's a problem. And I, I think we're seeing that the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean chemistry. When some of your main guys are always in trade talks, and I know it's a business, it's not a good sign that things are going well. And there's been issues with Trey and Nate. So as I just talked about, UB Brown's suggestion that you should always get along with your best players that doesn't seem to be the case in Atlanta. So at times it does seem like a mess, but they go through these spurts where they play pretty well at the same time. But I thought the video was great and. 
it shows just the way he leverages his floater into those lobs. Nobody, I don't think, in the history of the league ever did it quite at the level that Trey can in that specific skill of throwing the lob while leveraging your floater in the same sense. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, what I wanted, I didn't make a point. I get, it was getting late and I wanted to get it out. You know, uh, the, a lot of the lobs he does throw that are successful end up being a little bit lower than normal and they can catch it and then they go up and dunk it a lot of times. Yeah, you have to be super athletic. I saw John Collins did one of those. Like he was, yeah. that was crazy. He's a crazy yeah. athlete. So you see a lot of those, you know, Kongu will just kind of catch and lay it up instead of trying to, it becomes a basically a double pump to catch it and then go back up and dunk it. But I think why he does that is because, you know, when you watch the turnovers on those plays, uh, you know, he throws them way too high and they can't get him. So he wants to keep it, you know, in a, in a, in a safe range where he knows they can catch it, they can finish it without throwing it too high. Uh, but I, I can easily see why, especially the, the live ball turnovers he commits, I can see why McMillan would get frustrated. And, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because a guy like Steve Kerr, I'm sure, is also can be really frustrated by, by Draymond Green. He, he could probably be frustrated by Steph and Clay, like their shot selection sometimes. Um, but, it, you know, they've been through so much that it's not like Kerr is going to be able to, like, grab him by the shoulders and be like, come on, man, you, got, you can't shoot those anymore. It's, you know, make better decisions. Like, they're so far beyond that. And so it's hard because how do you influence that or not? And like, you know, from one playoff series to the next, you know, Kirk could be screaming at him about turnovers one series and then decide, you know what, I'm not going to say anything. And then the next series, they don't turn the ball over at all, you know, because maybe they realize it when like they got to take care of it. And it's not worth potentially destroying the relationship to try and get in someone's face and let them know uh, that they have to stop that. So it's an interesting dynamic when you're talking, yeah, when you're talking about coach and, and best player. Where do you rank the Warriors right now? Because it's kind of a tough eval with the way they're playing in the regular season. But you do know that the highest ceiling of them is championship level. Like, let's say if you had a series in full health, both teams, which is sometimes unrealistic between Denver and the Warriors, who would you have? So I was at the game in in San Francisco last Wednesday against the um, Grizzlies. And it was a great game. I mean, it really went down on the wire. Steph gets ejected for throwing his uh, mouthpiece, um, which, by the way, in the rules, we can't find that rule anywhere. We know that there's a rule if you throw the ball in the stands too hard, then it's an ejection. We know there's a rule if you throw equipment, which could be the, the mouth guard or a ball at the ref, that's an ejection. But there's nothing about throwing a piece of equipment into the stands that gets you ejected automatically. And so I, I, I'm, I'm still confused by that, but that well, happened. It's almost like there's probably some vague rule about text, like how like disturbing the peace, right? Is like it's like a law, you know? Like yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. All right, so, but uh, you know, and then, and then if you you don't you didn't see the game, they did a uh, a very strange out of bounds play to win the game where they sent three people to the right corner in a very strange, uh, you know, it, it, I think the play got screwed up, uh, but it left Jordan Poole by himself with his man way too close to him, and that's what we talk about defensively when you're off the ball. Uh, you know, if I'm guarding you and you're off the ball, um, do I know when you're going to cut? You should. You should see man and ball in most uh, defensive systems. But I, but, I, but I won't know when you're going to cut, right? Not Why? exactly. Because yes, because you know when you're going to cut, and it could be at any, any second. I don't know. So that is why I need a head start. I need to be two, three steps off of you toward the ball so I can cut you off or stay with you. If I am side by side on you thinking, oh, I'm pressuring whatever, it's off ball, I am beat the second you decide to go. I can, if, if it was a race between me and a kid, you know, who's 30 years younger than me, and I get to say when we go, 
I'm going to probably win if it's a short sprint, right? Because I'll, I'll, I'll have at least a step before he, he recovers. So, uh, and I love demonstrating that, by the way. I'm like, I'll be talking just like this. Okay, go, you know? And then I go and the kid's like, wait, what? And I'm already at the line. I win. And that, but that's the point. You need to have a couple steps of things. So that's what happened in that play. Um, and, and so ironically, the Jordan Poole shot that gets Clay, uh, Curry thrown out because he was so mad that Poole took a shot with 12 seconds in the shot clock after getting the offensive rebound. I think it was a tie game at that moment. Um, Curry just fires his mouthpiece. The irony being that Curry would have shot that shot. Clay would have shot that shot and it wouldn't have hesitated. And perhaps maybe that's why he was mad. He's like, I want to take that bad shot. Um, that said, if you had to choose between Poole and Curry to take a long distance shot, you're going to, you know, it's got to be Curry every time. So I get it. Anyway, um, let me talk about this. Though, Cause the Trey young thing, I don't know if we wrap that whole thing up. Um, I think that there's a ceiling on this team because of the way he turns it over and the way he, uh, bricks shots. Uh, Oh, but we were talking about, um, so I'm working on a new video right now. I think that's where I'm going to go. Can I, well, here's, here's a better question before you get to that, before you okay. get to the new video. So Trey young, great player. I've talked about how impressive it is that a guy, his athleticism, his size could put up those kind of numbers in the best league in the world. But do you feel that there is a team structure where he could be the best player and them being a title contender? Is that a realistic situation in the NBA? You know, they got to the conference finals that one year, a couple of years ago. So that seems to give you some credence to the fact that like with everything, you're in the right positions and whatever. Yeah. They can go on a deep run and they should. Um, so, so yeah, I, I can see, I can see that um, being a possibility. Uh, but he, I think he'd still need to shoot a little bit better. He can't, you can't be shooting that poorly, taking the most shots. And, you know what I mean? The, the combinations is lethal. So, does he take less shots and is he more efficient when they figure out how to maybe upgrade the roster a little bit better? Yeah, maybe, but you know, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't get rid of like John Collins and Clint Capel. I know Collins is, is always on the, on the training block. Uh, he seems to fit really, really well. And he played really good defense in that, in that run they went to in the playoffs. So, but then again, if it's not working personality wise, I guess it's not working and they're going to stick with Trey uh, no matter what. But uh, but watch for that. Well, you know, it, it's going to be a thing where they're not going to get to the next level uh, unless Trey gets a little bit better, uh, more efficient. Do you think he needs to move off the ball more? I, I would I probably would help him. Yeah, I think, yeah. you know, I think to vary varying your attack just makes you harder to guard. And then we learned that from Steph. And I think that that would probably be a good thing. Now, I, they did. They did run. They ran the Spurs loop for him, which is, if you don't remember, it's like three screens around the, uh, on the baseline back around, uh, which is right off of Tony Parker's play. They used to run for him. And uh, so, you know, we see a little bit of that and it's round, but yeah, they could probably vary that more by at least 15% or 10% more. And I think that would make, that would make him better. Probably give him some opportunity to get some catch and shoot threes. And that might, you know, improve his three point percentage. It's a different roster this year too. So, I mean, when you have a different roster, when you add a dynamic guard next to him that they didn't have before, I mean, it is an adjustment period. Right. Right. And that was with the, with with DeJounte, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a tough one. So, uh, and you know, DeJounte is an interesting guy. Like, is this the deal? Is, is he the guy they needed to bring in and do it? Uh, Worth, worth a look. I I need to study the Hawks a little more closely because right now it's like, yeah, they're just kind of up and down and mediocre and I don't see them doing much beyond that. Uh, We have another super chat though from the talker. Thank you so much. From the talker, why can't the Lakers do something right? So, well, I don't know. What do we think about that? Um, it's an interesting question. Um, I think the Rui, I think, I think, 
I think this like almost sets you up for a negative answer, but you know, I love the question. It's interesting. Um, and thanks for the super chat, but I would say, I mean, the Rui, the Rui signing was good. Look, has he been phenomenal? No, but he has been a nice fit. Just another athletic guy that could get up and down, knock down shots, finish in transition, rebound a little bit, um, give you a little more physicality. So I think that was something that they did right. Um, oh, I agree. And, you know, look at like looking at his line, you know, he, first of all, he's not going to get any assists. He's not out there to pass the ball. He's there to get a pass and finish. Uh, and he's giving them at his size somebody they really didn't have is the guy that can put the ball down and pull up from the mid-range, which I showed in that video I did. Um, you know, so he had 12 points the first game, six the second, 16 and 19 in the next few. Uh, you know, grabbing a few boards. He's been playing some nice defense. So, again, yeah, he upped to the level of talent. And in that stretch, they're two and two, uh, you know, with win against the Spurs. Bah. They lost to Boston, lost to Brooklyn badly. And then uh, they, they beat the Knicks uh, in an interesting game. Uh, which was pretty pretty testy at, at certain points, but um, so so they're doing that. That's something right on the margins, but it's not going to be what they need. They need to upgrade the backcourt. I, the Schroeder Beverly thing starting is not going to get them anywhere near they want to go. Yeah, okay. And another thing they did right is uh, you know shouts to Darvin Ham. He got Russell Westbrook to buy into a six man role, which everybody was no everybody knew that was needed, but he got him to do it, and yeah. I think that's pretty impressive. The only thing that he's not doing now is, and it's probably because Reeves is, is injured, is that they're letting him play during crunch time. And it's, it's, it really hurts them. The mistakes he makes get magnified in the last five minutes of a close game. Um, and it's only going to serve to increase that wedge between like him and LeBron and AD. And that's no good for anybody in the team. So they need to figure that out and, and get a little bit of a different lineup down the stretch if they can. And that's the real question. Will Russ be able to handle that? We've seen him kind of do that a little bit, but he kind of seems a little bit upset on the bench while it's happening. But I, I agree. He's playing a lot better than last year, which is not good. And so that's the, he's giving them something positive that they could, they could build off of. I think it's just a challenge for them to figure out the exact lineups they can run, particularly in the fourth quarter or in the, toward the end of the game. Uh, you know, I was, by the way, just wanted to follow up on the, uh, this video I want to do. Uh, we, didn't talk, we didn't figure out who the player was I was talking about. An older player that's having here, and nobody has realized it. Has he made the all-star team? Yes. In the oh, J James Harden? No, in the yeah, but now you're getting closer. Getting closer. Dame time. Yes. Yeah. Dude, I mean, but, but he was but Coach Nick, he was always good. He was just injured. But he's averaging 30, and like you wouldn't even know he's he's playing right now. That's the thing. Like, you know what I mean? I'm going up to Portland this month. He had I'm 60 gonna... recently, right? Or 50? He had one of them recently. Yeah, he had a well, he had a 42 piece the other night. He's, and I think he had a 50. Yeah, he's killing it. I mean, let me call up his numbers because I was like, whoa. He had not, this bad he, he had this bad abdominal thing for a while, you know. He finally got it taken care of. He refused to get the surgery and it was like, what are you doing? Don't you want to get this taken care of? Uh, he's averaging 31 a game, uh, 7.4 assists, which is getting pretty close to his, his career high. And um, let's see here. He's shooting 37% from three on 11 attempts per game. That's, that's good. Um, and he's 91% from the line. He's taking, getting nine free throws a game, a career high by far. Uh, so he's doing it all. He's like, he's, he's as good as he ever has been Portland, you know, they're not doing great, but, uh, they're not expecting to necessarily. And they're looking like they're going to be on the trading. I, I just heard they're, they're trying to maybe even upgrade the roster, which is interesting. They want it. Maybe Jared Vanderbilt, um, which means to me, like they're going to try and salvage the season, which seems a little bit interesting. Uh, I don't know if that's really I, the best way to do this, but okay. I got two video ideas for you. Sixers. Yeah. 
and Scoot Henderson. I got yeah, Scoot's down the road. I got to go see him play and maybe get an interview for sure. Yeah. Um, Sixers, yeah, we could do something about that. I mean, MB deserves an MVP uh, uh, consideration. Maybe he's better than than uh, Jokic this year. I don't know. Well, how much does that matter to you if you had an MVP vote? I don't know if you do or not, but like in an individual matchup, uh, how much stock does that hold? It does. I, I think it would hold some. You know, if you're going to get one on one or you know matchups like that head to head, yeah. Because well, that, by the way, it doesn't always happen that way. If you have a guard and a center, you never get a chance. But if it's the same position and they're going to go up against each other, you know, twenty times every night, that yes, like that would be a really good indication of how I've decided. Uh, you know, I, I might even be the guy who's like, you know what, he's won it twice in a row. Let's get someone else who is just as deserving. Let them win. I, I might even feel that way at some points uh, when you get to like that many in a row and whatever. It's, it, you know, it's, it's a finite amount of seasons that these guys have under, under their wings. Um, you know, we don't know if Embiid's going to continue this way. Let's let's reward him because again, as far as I'm concerned, Embiid will probably be would, would merit it as much as uh, Jokic. I would think Doncic probably would feel the same way. Um, you know, Giannis could probably feel that way too. I mean, Giannis is very quietly having a good year too. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And the Milwaukee Bucks have been playing better lately. Chris Middleton is back, and they all have been shooting the basketball better. So their offense is starting to look a little bit better these days. And, um, you know, they're obviously one of the top three teams in basketball at the least, right? So, yeah. you know, uh, the, Bucks, the Bucks are rolling. Yeah, that, I, let's, that'd be a good video. I mean, I have a video I've, I've been preparing for a while about how good can the Clippers be. And oh, yeah. I decide, you know what, there's a stretch now where they're going to play the Bucks. They're going to play a couple other good teams. And we're really going to figure it out because they were four and zero when they first got Kawhi and Paul George back together, but they were beating teams that weren't good. And, they, and at that point, I was like, you know what, I, this is not grabbing me yet. I want to see, you know, a little bit more before I do it. And so that's going to be one coming up. We have some more super chats to get to. Let's get uh, it. Yeah, we're we're going to head over to uh, the game in a minute. Let me actually get the TNT going up here on my on my TV. But we have a, the super chat here is, uh, hey coach, what's the biggest issue uh, with the Grizzlies half court offense? Ah, the Grizzlies. Well. Um, I, I now need to put on my Grizzlies hat because um, uh, I got to remember. So I was doing something. I was looking at some some John Morant stuff, and I saw them. Um, I mean, listen, in the game against the Warriors, they they really hurt them, uh, and they got a lot of lobs. Now, I I did a video where I was looking at the top people who lob the most, and John Morant had like the second most after Trey. And you know, when you got guys like Brandon Clark <laughs> and Jackson. Uh, that's a lot of uh, vertical spacing you get that way. So that works really well. Uh, you know, there's a John Morant shot selection is a little bit problematic and the way he throws his body around in general makes me nervous uh, about him. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I'm kind of curious, what is their uh, offensive rating here? Because it, it feels like they're a tough team that's going to make you really work, um, you know, on, on the defensive end. What do you think? Well, I think they do need one more big wing creator that could also defend as well. So they do have a lot of depth. And if they could package that together and get a wing that could create and play defense. I mean, there's a guy in Toronto we were talking about already, OG. Yeah. That would be a great fit there. But that's what I think the missing piece is for them because they're good at every other position. And also they have depth to trade. Uh, okay. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I'm kind of looking right now. They're 12th in, um, in, uh, offensive rating as a team, which kind of feels right. Like, you know, they, they're not quite top 10, but they, they're, they're, they're solid and they can give people problems. 
Uh, anytime you have a player like John Morant, you're going to give people problems anyway. So, okay, uh, that's one thing. I'm kind of curious what's their shooting looking like uh, comparatively. So the shot dashboard, uh, let me look here real quick uh, of where Memphis is. So Memphis is um, – so they this, the three-point frequency for Memphis is way down. They don't take a ton of threes. They're 30, 28, 26. They're 24th in three-point frequency, and then they're also um, way down there in, in percentage. So, yeah, they, they need a, a boost in their three-point percentage because what's going to happen is um, – and let me look at what they're – oh, I got out of that page. Um, they're, I think they're uh, elite defensively. Let me make sure that's right. My memory was uh, looking at this before – um, I mean, they have a lot. Of, I mean, for, certainly uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. should be defensive player of the year. What I did get from I went through his video and you should go watch that, too, because the Reddit thing about how they was getting fraudulent uh, stats because he was at home. Uh, nonsense. All the home stats he got were legit. and I showed them all. Nothing was even out of the ordinary. Um, meanwhile, Memphis is number two in defense, barely behind the Cleveland Cavaliers for number one. So it's but it's not going to be enough deep in the playoffs to lock a team down because there's going to be nights where they hit threes, the other team no matter what you do. And if you can't match and make threes and stay even with them or closer to even, then you're going to lose those games. And that's why you need to be able to have that as a weapon. And that's a real problem for them. So yeah. Uh, OG, maybe he helps out a little bit. Um, you know, uh, Anders, uh, let's see. Um, not Anderson. Jeez. Eric Gordon. Like, I don't know. Like maybe there's something like that. I'm just trying to think of who was, I feel a- like, I mean, Eric Gordon is great, but I feel like the, they have kind of guys like him, like with Bain, you know what I mean? Like that type of position. I feel like, like they do. Need, yeah, I think they need like a bigger wing, especially with some of the guy. Like if they face the Clippers at some point, to be able to throw them at like a PG or a, you know, at a Kawhi. So I think yeah. they need a two-way wing. I'm just thinking, you know, the couple of guys who I like coming off the bench. Uh, you know, like Conchar, Conchar, Conchar. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, let's see, does he shoot threes? You know, he shoots okay. Aldama shoots okay. So, I mean, it's interesting because those guys are, are okay coming off the bench and they have a little size and they make some plays. Um, but, you know, yeah, it's it's just too low. That's a great question, though. I mean, the Grizzlies are a really interesting team. Um, yeah. You know who's shooting well better from three than I even thought, and I always talked about this guy as a future MVP? Anthony oh. Edwards. He's shooting 37% from three. I mean, that's pretty good for the type of shots he takes. And for the way he shoots in a two-motion above his head release – which is sort of what I had been thought, thinking about uh, last year was there might be a limit to how, you know, how he, he might not be able to get to elite status. Now, 37 is fine. It's average. And that's well, it's a, a threat. I mean, it's average if you're like just catching and shooting, but it's pretty good in the type of shots he takes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but even still in the greater concept of like, you're going to miss, you know, a lot of shots that way. Um, I worry about that as a ceiling on that team. Gotcha. But um, but no, and then and also you worry that like he doesn't command any uh, gravity. But at thirty seven percent, no matter what, overall that's gravity. He'll have it, and that'll help him, you know, get to the basket. So right, and another super chat. Thank you so much, the shiny Haxorus, another friend of the breakdown. Um, thank you, thank you. In my opinion, Grizzlies won't win until Brooks gets moved. He kills them on offense, fouls on defense, and he generally makes poor decisions. Yeah, I listen. I, I kind of want to ride or die with with Dylan Brooks, and I think I told you why, right? Tell me I don't more. Was in this show. Um, I went to the game where Oregon uh, beat Duke in the you know in Anaheim during the Sweet 16, whatever that was. You know, did we talk about this? No. Mm-mm. So if you might remember that, Dylan Brooks was on that team. I think it's Oregon, right? So he played, um, and they beat Duke at the end. It was a great game, and then after the end, uh, Coach K like kind of grabs Brooks and like sort of speaks forcefully to him and was kind of whatever. 
And he, I don't know, he kind of came off as a buffoon in my mind. I think he was mad that they lost and he wanted to tell Brooks, you shouldn't be, you know, talking trash, whatever it was. It was, it was, it was a bad look. So anybody that can make coach K look like that, I was like, Hey, I like this guy, you know, he's going to get under your skin. I watched him guard Curry and he was really handsy and it was like physical and tough. And, and, and by the way, look what the result was. They got Curry to kick himself out of the game or to get himself ejected. He was that agitated and that's what he does. That's not bad. Um, he's, a, he's an agitator. Yeah. Now his his jump shots funky as funky can be. He doesn't flex the wrist all the way through, so it's like a high five when he shoots. His shot selection. That he makes his, any of those. His shot selection is funky as well. Yeah. So I'm gonna kind of quickly looking at Dylan Brooks. Wait here, because um, I'm just kind of curious. I don't think he shoots well. So Dylan Brooks' three point percentage is 31. percent He takes six a game. It's ugly, and his field goal percentage overall is under 40. So you're right. He's he's a real albatross on their on their offense, and that's a problem. Um, you know, there's some intangibles there, but yeah, they, they, they could get something for him. They probably will, but I don't know what his value is. Um, we're getting, I, I'm looking at the game right now. We still, they're still talking to Kenny and Chuck. So I guess we don't have to worry about the start of the game, but don't forget. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for the super chats. I wanted to say everyone. Thank it's, you. Hats yeah. and, but we're going to get over to TNT as soon as I start seeing the game going. So don't forget, you're going to hop over there. Um, we hang out on the playback app. The link is in the description. And also, um, I, I would do nutty stuff there, right, Combo? I, I give away T-shirts sometimes, and just sort of, you know, we have, a, we have a fun time. Yeah, it's a great time. The watch party is always great. You could hear my analysis and Coach Nick's analysis of the games. And not only that, you could join in with us and, you know, oh, shop yeah. it up. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to come on the show, uh, we'll do it there. And um, and you guys can ask us questions. We can, and, you know, during timeouts or whatever, we'll, do, we'll have a – a little bit of a party. I, I want to feel like I need to like order some pizza and like eat it with everybody while we watch. That'd be fun. Yeah, be fun. It's, it's, it's too too carb heavy for me. Maybe I can get a um, a cauliflower crust pizza. Mm, that sounds pretty good, actually. You know, it isn't bad when it's done right. Like CPK does it. Um, all right, we have another super chat from Danny's Lee. Danny's Leah. I don't know. Got to got to go back to work. Enjoy the game. Thanks for thinking of the video. Oh well, thank you, Danny. I really appreciate it. Very nice of you to do that. It really helps us keep the, the show going, the lights on, um, and and all that stuff. So thank you so much, Danny. Really, really appreciate it. Hope you don't have to work too hard. Uh, I, I wonder what what do people do these days. What do you do? Me, I uh, live shows with Coach Nick. All right. That's and listen. I hope that you're doing some other another form of uh, uh, monetization. But yes, that's a <laughs> that's a start. You're the kid. You gotta eat. God damn it. Yeah, man. Live shows with Coach Nick, man. Where all right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I hear in the comments. Give us some comments. I'm kind of curious. What are people are doing these days? Almond flour pizza is mostly protein. Oh, that's interesting. Almond flour. I, I like. Uh, I, I mean, I like crunchy. So if it's crunchy, that works for me. I love almonds in general. Oh, I love almonds. They're you know whatever, and uh, yeah. But I, you know, you I know got, what? I gotta you watch. Know what I, you know what I? You know what I eat almost every day? What? Eggs and avocado. Just eggs and avocado, like scrambled and. Yeah, pretty much. Huh? Yeah. All right, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I've I've lost like you know almost maybe like ten pounds in the last few weeks. Yeah, you've been uh, eating less sugar, right? That's what you've been. Uh, no sugar, no uh, carbs, or no no sugar, no gluten, no um, caffeine. And no dairy, pretty much. Hmm. And I, I might be cheating, but I, I don't think I can tell you what I'm doing. But there might be something that you can actually take that helps you um, work better. And then you kind of aren't hungry anymore. So I got to tell you, that works if that's what you're looking for. <laughs> and what's that, uh, what's that called? Oh, I think we all, we're all familiar with uh, what you can do to help you, uh, you know, focus better and not be hungry for a lot the whole day. Um, so... 
Oh, do you think that's, I'm not talking about listen. No, I'm talking about, you know, something that's completely legal. <laughs> so anyway, um, nonetheless, <laughs> it really works. It really helps. And I've been struggling so hard to try and get, you know, COVID was terrible. I, I was eating dessert every freaking night and ordering in all, you know, every night it was terrible. I, I gained like 25 pounds, 30 pounds. Just note that combo is confused right now. Oh, come on. We all know what I'm talking about. No idea. Well, yes. See, they, they all know. You can see in the comments that we're talking about. So at any rate, um, you know, it's a really wonderful thing. And you don't have to take very much. Nonetheless. Um, all right. So the game is getting warmed up here. But again, they're going to do that whole uh, TNT thing where the game starts like 12 minutes after they say it's going to start. If you know, So we got probably a few more minutes. But we can you know, keep going a little bit more. Uh, you know, enough about me and my uh, my dietary habits. But um, what do you want to what should we wrap up with? Oh, I, I know I'm, I'm doing a video right now that everyone seems to be really excited about. We had like 3000 votes on my a poll on my YouTube community. because I was kind of curious as I was doing it, if people wanted to see it. So I'm able to I've gotten access to some really cool play by play data and I can now see who is uh, the players, the players that are most blocked at the rim on layups and dunk attempts. Uh, which is pretty interesting, wouldn't you say? That is pretty interesting. Who's who's up there? Um, no, I guess it's somebody somebody who attacks the rim a lot. Well, we can't. Here's the thing: you can't do. You can't be a thing where it's like just the most. Because uh, what if a guy goes to the rim way more than somebody else? Like, okay, his shots are going to get blocked more than often, but it's not, you know, but it's comparatively less because he does it so often. So, you know, for instance, the guy that blocks the most or gets blocked the most is, um, you know, and by the way, like minimum, I think we're going to do minimum 200 attempts um, is Giannis. Okay. Because, mm -hmm. Oh, act, you know, actually I, my, my numbers I had were Giannis, my, my guys uh, scraping numbers had it, uh, uh, Ben Matherin the most, but Giannis is right behind him. Well, Ben Matherin is also one of the highest frequencies of getting to the line too. Right. Um, that's actually interesting. So, um, Yes. Oh, I, I'll have to check that. So what we did, though, is we looked at shots at the rim and then we looked at the number of blocked shots that they're getting blocked. And then we, we came up with a a, um, a uh, percentage. So that kind of, you know, gives you a sense of like per, you know, for the guys who are heavy, you know, drivers to the basket, uh, you know, they don't get penalized as much. And so when you you balance it off for that and you get a much different uh, picture of who the top uh, numbers are. And then when you start looking at why and how it really is fascinating, because some of these guys do something in very particular that, you know, they keep doing that keeps getting blocked. Like uh, like a couple of the guys would like extend their steps. So, you know, when you're doing a one, two as a layup, a lot of times you'll that that last step is a bit of a bound step. So you're covering more space, but it's harder to get up the ground that that way. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of guys that are doing that a lot, and that's interesting. Um, let me look at my – let me study my notes in my head for a second. Um, there's a couple of guys who are blocked a lot in the post. Strange. Um, let's see here. I, I, but I would say a lot of it's pick and roll, like going to the basket. Um, and, again, there's some finishing. One guy going to his left, they're almost all just going to his left. Left hand finishes, you know. Another guy keeps trying to shoot the inside hand. When he's going, like, to the left, he shoots right-handed right back into the defense, and they just block those. So anyway, it's kind of fascinating. I'm anxious to get it done by tomorrow. There's two things, in my opinion, when it comes down to finishing around the rim. First is having the option and having many options to score the basketball around the rim, right? Either hand, either foot, from right near the basket, from away from the basket. And then you also need to know when to make or which decision to make to use which option, right? right. You need to know what option to use at the right moment in time. 
Exactly. So those, so those are the two things that are needed. You need the options and you need to make the right decision with those options when it comes to finishing around the rim. And, and it's really tough because, you know, it, it sort of, you just need experience, right? You need to get your, your shot packed a few times and then you yeah. kind of learn. Uh, the question then is, is like, are you learning and, you know, are you still doing the same stuff? Uh, another guy uh, off foot layups seem they're getting blocked a lot, which is interesting. Um, let's see. Another guy was, well, when you're shooting so many of them, then you could time them. Yeah. Right? Right. Well, yeah. one guy, speaking of timing, you know, the best way to avoid that is to go off the one, what I call it. So instead of going one, two, you kind of gather and jump in the same one, right. Or you kind of gather and go right up instead of taking your extra step. And that usually catches the defense off guard. One of the guys though, doing it, does it consistently and then gets those blocked. So it's like, okay, you're going to have to figure that out and change that up a little bit. Um, and so that'll be, it'll be really good to kind of break that down. It's basically a scouting report. Cause I bet you none of these head coaches know this about their own players. They, I don't think anyone's really looked at this before and, and realized that now, you know, the sample sizes are not huge, <coughs> like the leader right now for layup stunks. So uh, we have, um, when you, when you do it for um, percentage of field goal attempts blocked. Okay. Um, and minimum 200. So Matherin is the first and he's gotten 55 of his shots blocked. Um, out of 295 attempts, so that's 18.6%. So almost one out of every five drives where he shoots the ball, he's getting him blocked. That's that's a little bit troublesome. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's always so annoying when somebody blocks you and you shouldn't even even gave like some some blocks are inevitable, right? Somebody jumps out of nowhere, but like yeah, right. when it when it's your fault and not necessarily their great play. I don't know. I always felt like that was annoying, you know. Like oh, yeah. Well, especially the ones where you drive, there's clearly a foul on the guy who's guarding the guy, the driver, and they don't call yeah. it. And then the other guy yeah. just swoops in and then just knocks it out of the air. Like, that's yeah. always the ones that are cheap, easy, uh, and have to be frustrating. Uh, and that's the other part of it is, yeah, it, who's blocking it? Is it the guy who's, you're, who's guarding you, or is it all weak side? I would say the majority, but not like a, like a huge majority, but a majority are probably, um, you know, coming over from the weak side and, and, and blocking it out of the air. Uh, but the other thing with the uh, NBA is if you get stripped on the way up, that's a block shot. And it's not too many, but it's a little bit of a thing. I might have to show just a little bit that adds to the number, even though it kind of almost feels like it's a turnover or a strip or a steal. Though they, any kind of notion of them moving up you know, as, and then the ball getting stripped down is a steal. The other thing that's, I think is interesting is that most of these top 10 of the, uh, the shots at the rim that are blocked in the percentage um, are, are of the same – body type of the same uh, position, if you will. And these sort of bigger two guards, Zach Levine's and Russell Westbrook's and Jalen Green's and Jaden Ivey, that they're all on the top 10 here. Uh, Terry Eason, Kelly Oubre, um, Ben Matherin. They're all, you know what I mean? There's a very, you know, seven of these guys are all sort of a similar thing. And that's fascinating to me because, you know, we know that the centers, like Gobert is not going to get his shot blocked too often. So those guys, you know, they'll get their shot off. Um you know, but you would almost think it'd be the point guards, and it's not. It's fascinating. Yeah, sometimes you just got to dunk on somebody, you know, and then the yeah. the, the, the lane will clear more. Uh, now, we're at there's some questions here about the shot distance at rim um, for Giannis. 323 out of 408, I don't know, 792. Um, right. So, the, so the, the thing with Giannis is, like, he finishes so many of them. But, you know, he does get a lot of them blocked. I'm going to reference it just to show you that he's way up there in terms of totals. But then – then say when you actually factor in how many, then it, it, he won't count. And that'll, that'll, that'll get me into like then going into 
these other guys. Jordan Poole barely makes it, and that makes sense. We see him do that a lot. He gets going, going too fast. He tries to shoot inside hand layups and then right into the defender. So uh, it would be interesting to think um, of uh, 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 if they if they actually watch what I do and then feel like, you know what, maybe I, I should change that or not finish that way anymore. Um, that would be kind of cool. So we'll see. But uh, either way, the game is starting. So should we head over there? Yes. Thank you to everybody who joined in. Thanks to all the super chatters. I might actually use this as a podcast, Coach Nick. So send me over the audio. This was great. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. Uh, as always, I, I'll, I'll make that happen for you. So thank you all for being here. Thank you, Combo, for being there. And come over. The link is in the description. Head over to Playback. I might give out some free T-shirts and have a good time. We'll talk. We'll chop it up in this game. So don't forget, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You win. Are you in, Combo? There it was. Yet another episode of Combo's Court is in the books. Don't forget to rate, review, punch down on that subscribe button. Big shouts to Beatball Breakdown and Coach Nick. Always appreciate you. Be on the lookout for episode 442. Combo out.